baby. Navigating Surrogacy and Donor IVF, a limited podcast series. Recorded and produced by Growing Families Sam Everingham and Kerry Duncan. Welcome everybody. Today we're talking about surrogacy, availability, costs and timelines around the world. And as usual, you're here with our host today, so Kerry Duncan and Sam Everingham. And today I'm interviewing Sam because he's got some fantastic knowledge on surrogacy around the world. We know that costs and timelines and availability can vary dramatically depending on the individual, this family type and the countries involved. And so what we talk about today, we'll be talking very much in terms of averages because we know that every situation is unique, Sam. But I'm still hoping you can answer some of these questions and direct people if they want to know more information, how they can go about that. Yep, sure. So welcome, Sam, to your own podcast. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> As both the host and also our interviewee. So, Sam, if you think about someone starting their journey from they've now decided they need a surrogate, yep. what would you tell them in terms of timelines, expectations, making the decision that they need a surrogate to then finding one? until the birth of their baby, what do you see as sort of common or average yeah, here? Yeah, that's a great question. People ask about timelines a lot. Look, it, it depends on a number of factors, unfortunately, but much of the factors depends on, A, which country you engage in, and mm-hmm. B, the agency you're working with. Because in countries which have altruistic programs, like, uh, say, Australia, UK, and Canada, and and even Greece, the the wait times for surrogates have become a lot longer, and they're not guaranteed at all in places like Australia and the UK because we don't really have much in the way of agencies. So mm-hmm. for people looking at those programs, you know, you could easily be looking at a three and a half year journey end to end if it if it happens. Whereas if you're looking at at compensated surrogacy. These days in countries like the USA, Argentina, Georgia, Colombia, if you go with the right agency, you could be matched with a surrogate within sort of and have the first embryo transfer within about six months. So you could wow. say, look, you know, you could have a birth within sort of 18 months or so mm-hmm. of that, of starting the process. Right. Um, obviously, it depends also how soon you are able to start and whether you've got embryos are already made or not and some programs offer quicker match times at a higher cost so you've got to really weigh up how impatient you are to get things going with what your budget is you know some countries have um which we'll talk about in a minute i know have different costs but yeah so it really varies from about that 18 months to to three and a half years depending on where you're going mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm sure there's people who know their surrogate could be a, a sister or a fair friend, family member, and I suppose then... Yeah, so for, for that group, it's different. It, it, it is. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a surrogate already lined up, you know it's going to be your friend or your relative, then that can literally happen within within a year. You know, you could mm-hmm. get through your, your, your counselling and your legals within three or so months, and if the first embryo transfer took then, you know, it, it could be as quick as a year when, mm-hmm. when you're parents. So for that kind of case, it is, it's even better you know, assuming your surrogate's ready to go straight yeah. away. You know, sometimes you have a family member who, who's happy to carry, but she says, oh, I can't do it until a year's time or two years' mm-hmm. time. So that's what puts some of these things on hold as well. 
And I must admit, even if you didn't know somebody, it would be still a bit of work to do any legal documentation to go through the whole just IVF and getting that person, the surrogate, ready for oh, sure, reception. Sure. Exactly. So countries like the USA, there's a lot of screening of, of, of mm-hmm. known surrogates up front. You know, it could take sort of four months of, of upfront legal and medical screening. Mm-hmm. And similar in Australia and the UK, it can be easily be that long. You know, if you're mm-hmm. doing what we call traditional surrogacy, where you're using the surrogate's own eggs, then that's often a quicker process if if it works because you ha- you're not going to the IVF system. You're just really using a turkey baster and doing a home insemination. Mm-hmm. And so, for people who are prepared to do that, you know, it can be even quicker. This might be a tricky one, Sam, but in terms of what you've seen around the world, where do you think the best surrogacy arrangements are? Is there oh, one country that stands out? Oh, look, there's not. There's so many variables here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some. I mean, the USA has been doing it for the longest. You know, they've got sort of thirty years track record doing this. So there's lots of checks and balances in the US system because mm-hmm. they've been doing it for so long. But that also means, you know, that, that there's a, a longer time to get through all the upfront checks and balances process. Mm-hmm. And USA is in demand as a country. Lots of people want to go there for surrogacy. It has got often longer wait times for for matching than other places. I mean, there's countries like Greece where the transfer of parentage occurs before the first embryo transfer even happens. So for some people, that's really mm. attractive, the fact that you're having mm. that transfer of parentage happening up front. And I it think was to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a great model for lots of people because they feel that yes. security of knowing that's already done. So, you know, I think from a legal point of view, Greece is, it, it, it is great. But it's not for everyone, is it? There's certain restrictions no, of course, that's on right. who can access. Exactly. In Greece, you know, you've got to be a a married heterosexual couple or a single female and yes. and under a certain age. I think it's 54 mm-hmm. now for the for the female. Right. Yeah. Is it possible to break this down into wait times per country as a bit of an indication? Yeah, sure. So I mean, if we and this is averages, but we, let's talk about wait time in terms of time to embryo transfer. Because mm-hmm. somewhere like the USA, the average time that embryo transfer is an average of nine months. In Canada, it's about 16 months average. In Greece, it's about nine months, like the USA is now. And it used to be much shorter, but it's just changed post-COVID. Argentina, around six months. Yeah, and Colombia, around six months. Yeah, but again, mm-hmm. yeah, these are averages. It helps mm-hmm. set expectations. And in each of those countries, I understand that the Greek system, because I went through that with the birth of my little boy. What do you see with other countries where there's not the same court process up front? Is, did surrogates and the intending parents typically sign a contract, a standard contract? Yeah, look, look, in all these cross-border arrangements, there are contracts signed so that the surrogate is declaring she will give up custody of the child. And in, and in some of these countries, or the ones I've been mentioning, there are there are court either court processes or, or laws that do protect that arrangement. So the mm-hmm. reason why we only sort of really recommend particular countries for the surrogacy is there are only laws protecting you in some of these countries. So, so they are USA, mm-hmm. Canada, Greece, if you said, and and Argentina, the key ones mm-hmm. there. In in some of these other places like like Mexico and, and Cyprus, the surrogate will often go on the birth certificate with the intending father. Mm-hmm. And then what do the parents, intending parent mother, will adopt the child later? Well, no, is that what... it, well 
often that's not even possible to adopt the child later. So those right. programs are more popular with gay couples where mm-hmm. where they're not so concerned about having an, an a woman on the birth certificate. And whether you can adopt the child later depends on what country you're from. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 the laws around this at a global level are, are complicated and differ by, mm. by your country of residence. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. I know we probably should touch on this because I had this fear when I was looking to go down the surrogacy path is that the you read headlines from time to time about a surrogate keeping a child. Yeah. And I think it's every person's worst nightmare that they'd go through this whole emotional journey and, you know, that the surrogate would say, sorry, I'm keeping the child and see you later. And I think statistically it's very rare, Sam. Is that right? I it is very rare. Right. Yeah, look, you're right. It is, it is a, a common concern people have, but it's very, very rare. There's more of a concern amongst the surrogates that the parents won't turn up to pick up the child. Mm. Um, and that's what's unfortunately more commonly will happen if a couple breaks up or has problems in their own lives. Sometimes that that can happen. But or COVID. Sur- or COVID, exactly. Because the surrogates are nearly always screened to make sure they've already finished their family or have at least one child. And because in these cross-border arrangements, it's never the surrogate's eggs that are used. It's always the intending mum's eggs or, or donor eggs. So there's no genetic relationship with the child. So the counselling and screening up front makes the surrogate fully aware that she's really babysitting someone else's kid and she doesn't have any intention to, to bring it up. So that's just a understanding that people need to come to terms with and realise that this isn't a real risk. The real risk mm. is, you know, is, is your commitment to the process as an intending parent. Absolutely. Yes, with countries like... Australia and the UK where the contracts aren't binding, you know, so the surrogate can, from a legal point of view, change your mind Um, Mm post-birth. Luckily, that doesn't tend to happen in Australia, particularly because the counselling up front is so good and so thorough. But but it is a risk that puts people off and some people say, look, I don't want to even wear that risk so I'll go overseas. Mm. I think that you're right. That's where counselling and that screening is really important because it's a a massive job to do, isn't it, to be a surrogate for someone, I imagine. I've never done it. It's it's just you know it's a it's a massive responsibility emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. So you you want to make sure that someone's got the right support and have had the right counselling and they've been screened appropriately. And we should talk about just briefly, Sam, the baby gammy story. The media sort of made out that the the father had abandoned the baby mm-hmm. and just taken the twin back to Australia. And in actual fact, that is a good case where the surrogate had decided no she had fallen in love with the baby and wanted to keep that child. So you're right, that is a good example of where this can happen. And there's been other cases like that, also in Thailand actually, where surrogates have decided they wanted to keep the baby. That The other case I can think of is where they were caring for a gay couple and they hadn't been told it was a gay couple they were caring for and they weren't okay with that and they felt, no, the baby should stay with them. So that's another reason why you've got to be very, very careful. And this was also in the days when surrogacy was operating in in Thailand without any laws in place. There weren't any real mm. rules around whose baby it was. And so those yeah. unregulated countries like Thailand and like India did end up shutting their doors because it was, in comparative terms, a bit of a wild west in terms of a, a legal framework. And I can see the attraction for people who want it. It can be quite an expensive process as an IP. So I can see the attraction to trying to take some shortcuts and find a cheaper way of doing things. But then I suppose that's the inherent danger, isn't it, that it's not regulated. People aren't being screened potentially as, as much as they should be. So there's a lot more risk. 
That's right. There is a lot more risk, and people need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. That while it may seem, you know, cheaper or or easier, there's a lot of risk, and a lot of us who went through some of those uh, hard hard lessons when we were ten years ago. Mm. Wait times for donor eggs at the moment, Sam. Look again, it varies by country. Some countries like Canada and the in Australia, you can't pay a donor for eggs, so there's a much more limited supply of donor eggs around. Whereas if you're going to somewhere like, you know, the USA or, or Greece, donor eggs are much more plentiful. But and then the wait time will depend on how picky you are. Some people think, oh, look, I only want a donor who's got these features. And um, so they um and are about it for, for, for many months before finding a donor who meets their needs. So, you know, I, I would probably like to say between about one month and six months, for donors, mm-hmm. depending on how picky you are and what country you're engaging in. If, you, if, you, if you're doing it in an altruistic environment, you know, it could be 12 months to two years to find a donor. Mm-hmm. Wait time for sperm? Um, look, it's much easier on average to, to get sperm, simply because there are sperm donor databases more readily available. Donating sperm is an easier thing for guys to do. And so even if your own country doesn't have sperm available, I think they can import it from somewhere mm-hmm. like the USA or from Scandinavia, which have large sperm banks. So we tend to find the wait times is about, you know, one or two months maximum for sperm. Is there a particular country where success rates are generally higher? And Well, I mean, success rates are really depending on the quality of the embryos you're putting in. And I think we've got a sort of another podcast on, on that issue about embryo quality. Mm-hmm. But if you're using donor eggs, for example, and the, the donor's been well screened, Maybe she's a proven donor, so she's done this before. And if the embryos are also being tested before they're transferred to the surrogate, a process we call pre-genetic testing for aneuploidy, then that also increases the chance of weeding out the, the lesser quality embryos. So mm-hmm. countries that do that standardly, like the USA, do tend to get sort of higher success rates on the first or second transfer, maybe mm-hmm. around sort of 45 to 65% success rate per transfer, just because their their testing up front is more sophisticated and more thorough than it is in some other countries. Mm-hmm. These tests, mm-hmm. the embryo testing is available in other countries, but it can be slower to get done and not everybody sort of pushes for it. And is there anything that intending parents can do to reduce the time frame and, and speed up the process in some way? What would you recommend? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Look, in countries like USA, you can pay extra money, and that extra money will will allow you to, to fast track your matching with a donor and a surrogate. So that's that's certainly possible in the US environment. In in other countries, there's not quite the availability of of shortcuts, if you like, to doing this. I mean, obviously, Growing Families has a concierge service now, which is doing a lot more work to support people with their journeys and, and really keep the communication going and, and moving with their agencies because we do see a lot of people get stuck in ruts where the agency mm-hmm. just doesn't match with surrogates or donors and it's, they come mm-hmm. back to us six months later. And because we were seeing so much of that, we decided to sort of start concierge programs to help mm-hmm. people with that. Obviously, if you have your own surrogate ready to go or your own egg donor, then that speeds the process up because, you know, you can start more quickly. Can I just say on that one, Sam? So. I think this is my view on speeding things up is to get advice. And it sounds like um, 
advertising for you, but it's so true, is getting the yeah. right advice because it's so easy to spin your wheels and and waste yeah. time just going to the wrong country. Oh, or the, sure, sure. So if you get the right advice, and I know one thing that Growing Family does now as part of the concierge is give you a, um, an individual bespoke recommendation yeah. that can yeah. save, well, months if not years of time. Yeah. No, you're wrong. We do see a lot of people come to us and they say, look, I've been on this journey for a year and I just got nowhere mm. and I'm more confused than I was at the start because they're getting so yeah. much conflicting information from different places and they come away from you know doing a first consult and say oh my god this is great we've now got a plan and we know Mm -hmm. what to expect because it is so hard on your own you know this area people assume they can self-manage it but it's it's often tough well and then you start looking at google and facebook pages and if it's there's so much conflicting information you end up Mm. you end up honestly feeling like you're drowning in information and more confused so yeah i strongly recommend that people get advice and get someone to understand their circumstances all their objectives I mean, the objectives obviously to have a healthy child at the end but know a bit about their circumstances and make a recommendation it can save so much time and money i think yeah 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 that's no, true do you want to talk briefly about cost per country no look it's an important issue that we're often asked about so look again i'm going to talk in averages and it depends a little bit on whether you've had embryos already made and you're shipping embryos to that country or whether you're making embryos in the country. I'm going to talk about minimum costs where you've already made embryos, and I'm going to talk in US dollars because we work so globally here now. We tend Mm -hmm. to sort of put all the costs into US dollars so they're easier to compare. And these costs, of course, don't don't include your own travel and accommodation and maybe embryo sperm shipping if you're doing that. So somewhere like Argentina or Colombia is more like the $65,000 US mark. Greece is a little bit higher now at around $70,000 US. Canada is around $87,000 US dollars as an average. And the USA as a starting point, around $130,000 US for programs there. And they can go up to sort of $200,000 US in the USA, depending on who you engage with. There are some providers who charge a lot more than others. So it really, but it does pay to, to, to know what the differences are and what you're getting for your, for your money and, and these mm-hmm. programs. But in general mm-hmm. terms, programs tend to be broken up into either embryos are made, we're just doing the surrogacy, programs where you're using an egg donor in the other country and you're providing your own sperm, and a pay-as-you-go setting where you're paying for every transfer, and programs where they might include three transfers or they might say we'll do a a guaranteed live birth program. Some countries offer those where they'll say, well, keep doing transfers until you have a live birth. And so for people, mm-hmm. some people, they find those really attractive because they do give them some peace of mind. You mentioned before a concierge package, Sam. Would you like just to talk a little bit about that? And It's a new package, I understand. The one that we're running here, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, look, we're seeing increasingly intending parents are wanting support particularly in the, in the post-COVID, post-Ukraine war environment where people are a bit more nervous about travelling now and the wait times have become much higher for people. So that program involves one of the coordinators of growing families providing ongoing support to the single or couple, you know, liaison with the agency, helping them with paperwork, with shipping if required, with contract reviews, with a raft of issues around embryo transfer decisions, surrogate decisions, donor con- decisions, a lot of people feel a little bit left on their own with this stuff because there's so many decisions to make along the way and they want someone there to sort of help them make those decisions and help sort of guide them and also give them some moral support as they're going along because sometimes, you know, things don't get a plan. They've got to start again with new embryos and 
we can provide a lot of assistance and advice on what to ship over, how many embryos you should be shipping. You know, should you provide sperm as well when you're shipping? You know, advice about insurance, about visas and citizenship and passport support for newborns are all the kind of things this kind of serious program does for singles and couples. So we're seeing it really taking off in terms of uh, meeting a meeting a, a gap. Mm, absolutely. So it's designed for someone who's at the start of their journey, ideally, all the way through to the birth or even just yeah. after the birth of the baby support. That's right. Yeah, I mean, we're getting also people taking it up halfway through the journey where they're saying, mm. look, I really want support now because I'm finding it's hard. So there are programs like our Silver Package, which is for people who just need maybe three hours of support during their journey and others who want support the whole way and some who just want support at the end for the what we call pre- and post-birth support for people who want that support for the end part where there's lots of paperwork to do and lots of moving parts and logistics. Mm. Oh, look, I remember just to share really briefly that I thought the hardest part of the whole journey would be you know, getting a surrogate, shipping over embryos, the baby's born, hey, everything's done. But then I realised very quickly that actually getting the ba- my baby home was one of the hardest parts. And, and it's just yeah. so every day when you're overseas away from your family can feel like an eternity. So I wish, I wish this package had been available when I was going through my journey, Sam, because it can feel so lonely and isolating. Yeah, yeah, because I remember I think when you were going through, I think you had your sister with you for a while, didn't you? And then she had to go yes. home? Yes, and then she had to go home and I was by myself and I had a bit of yeah. a moment um, feeling disconnected and overwhelmed by the yeah. process. Yeah. And luckily a girlfriend came over a few days later. But I was by myself in a foreign country with a baby that it, I thought, what have I done for a few yeah. days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now I can't imagine my life without him. I couldn't love him anymore. But it's just, yeah, that support I think can be invaluable. So yeah. I love that you're doing that. That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. Just to finish off, we should talk about the surrogates. I know we're going to have another session on surrogates, but is there anything you would say, because I know you and I are both passionate about making sure the surrogate has the best possible journey, is looked after and respected. Is there anything you want to add there, Sam? Yeah, yeah. Look, it's really important that you make efforts to meet your surrogate up front, even if there's a language barrier, to make sure there's a, a translator available and you can get to know her at the start of the process and be put in touch with her. So you can sort of keep in touch with Google Translate or with the translator in person and be there for important scans, not have to be there in person, but at least be there on on Zoom or on, on a FaceTime thing so you can see these important scans and Make sure your surrogate knows about you as, as a single or couple, knows your story, and she can focus on, on who she's caring for. That's really important stuff. And to be working with an agency who, who you have confidence looking after your surrogate well, because you're not there because it's happening so far away. You don't want to be losing sleep over how your surrogate's been cared for. So making sure she has a good support around her is key, and that's really up to your agency to make sure that's being done. Just to wrap up, Sam, on this topic. So any, any general advice for intending parents on this topic of surrogacy and wait times, et cetera? Look, I think you've got to plan ahead. You've got to make sure, you know, don't expect this all to happen tomorrow. You do need to have patience around the process and you've got to be prepared to put trust in in other people. Realise you're not going to be able to do this all yourself. You are going to have to trust people to help you with it. Have some hurdles along the way and be prepared for those hurdles along the way because that's, that's common in, in surrogacy journeys around the world mm. and that's a good note probably finish on that self-care actually sam isn't it really looking after yourself because it yeah. can be exhausting and and trying very oh, trying it at can, times it can. and one of the things you know which we have put in the the platinum conscious program is is a counseling session you know an in-depth counseling session with a professional counselor 
to look after yourself and to make sure mm. you're being looked after and, and you are, you know, mentally you're you're coping okay and and you've got that support there because you're right, it, it can be tough otherwise. Mm. And then at the end, for those that are blessed, which is many of us that have gone through this journey, there's a, a beautiful, beautiful baby waiting on the other side. So all that hard work and, yeah, it pays off. It's a, it's a magical process. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. All right, thanks for your time, Sam, as a host and uh, our, our guest star today. <laughs> Looking forward to the next podcast. Thanks, Sam. Wonderful. That's great. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For further information, please head to the Growing Families website, www.growingfamilies.org.